If you would take your scriptures and turn with it to Psalm 96. Psalm 96, we'll be reading the entire psalm. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to your house this morning to learn from you. The preacher from Ecclesiastes said, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they are wrong. Father, open our ears to listen and our hearts to accept your word as the truth it is. Help us to examine our lives by your word and to see our sin and to repent of it. Guide us as we open your word and study it, for we know in it alone is the answer we need. In Christ's name, amen. This psalm was written by David and given to Asaph and his singers. It was to be used when the ark was brought into the, the tent David had prepared in Jerusalem. First Chronicles 16.7 says, On that day David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to the thank of the Lord. This 96th psalm includes the words of the psalm David wrote for singing at the Lord's return is taken from this psalm. It, it should be that David had written the longer song and took it out, took out of it to make a shorter version, or he may have taken the shorter version and added to it to reconstitute it a little differently for another purpose. We don't know, and I don't guess we really need to know. But one thing is certain. Though it was sung at the transfer of the ark, from Obed-Edom's home to Jerusalem in the tent that David had prepared for it, it looks much further, much further into the future, all the way to the kingdom of Christ. This psalm is another passage of Scripture that clearly shows the coming of the new covenant and the Messiah. The Old Testament is full of such passages, passages that show there is something coming that is going to change the world from what it has been for over a thousand years. The covenant made with Abraham opened the door to this new covenant. That covenant came into being in Genesis 15 when God told Abram to take some animals and kill them and lay them out. He then put Abraham Abram into a deep trance. He came down as the smoking oven and the burning torch 
and passed between the parts of the animals. This was what is called a suzerain treaty, where two kings passed between the parts of the animals saying, if I break this treaty, may what happened to these animals happen to me. God passed between the parts as the burning torch to pledge his loyalty to the covenant. In other words, if God broke the covenant, may this happen to him. Then in the place of Abram, he passed between the parts as the smoking oven on behalf of mankind. In other words, he was saying, if man fails to keep this covenant, I will take on me his punishment. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus came into this world to fulfill every jot and tittle of the law. And you must understand, one of the biggest parts of that law was the punishment directed at those who failed to keep it. Jesus came and did everything required by the law for you to enter heaven's gate. He lived the perfect life, died the atoning death, won the resurrection victory. Do you not see this as the greatest thing that could, could ever happen to you? This is why the 96th Psalm is filled with such words of joy and praise. So lift your voices in praise and glory. Jesus Christ has taken your punishment on himself. We know we have this psalm, and it has this glorious purpose of showing the joy of the gospel. What does it give us? First, it delivers a call to all people to praise God, to worship him, to give glory to him as a great and glorious God. Second, it gives notice to all people of God's calling, which should bring to our lips the matter of universal joy. Jesus Christ has done for us what the covenant required of those who failed to keep the covenant. He died on Calvary's cross. As we join in the singing of this psalm, our hearts should be overflowing with great and awesome thoughts of God's glory and the wonderful grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be filled with a complete satisfaction of God's sovereign dominion and in expectation of the judgment to come. These verses should draw from us religious and devout affections. They should work in our soul, bringing us nearer and nearer to our God. They should fill our hearts with great delight for his majesty. The call given here is to be very lively and full of hope and joy. To show its special place, it is repeated over and over. In these first two verses, we see that it is our duty to honor God. Verses 1 and 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. How are we to honor God? We are to do it with singing. He admonished us to sing three times here. We are to sing unto the Lord, sing unto the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. What are we singing? We're singing a new song, a song that brings joy from the hearts of men. A song that brings glad tidings of blessings to all people. These blessings are proclaimed. Therefore, let them sing a new song. We read about the inauguration of the new covenant in Luke 2 when the angels from on high sing a new song. And shall we not take up that same song? 
We sing this new song of Jehovah while the rest of the world sing songs of praise to false gods. It is to the one and only true God that all music should be dedicated. Jesus Christ has come down into this world to bring salvation and joy to those who know this new song. What about your salvation? What about your salvation would cause you not to want to sing the Lord's praises? This song that looks to your Lord is holy, heavenly, pure, and pleasant. So what you sing unto Jehovah is this new song. The psalmist says, sing to the Lord all the earth. All nations are called to lay aside their differences. We see in the psalm a Jew inviting a Gentile to worship with him. He calls all men to gather and stand as one before the throne of God. They are to raise their voices in praise to this great God who has brought salvation into the world. No island in this world is to be in argument over truth. No tribe of heathens shall remain ignorant to this new song. God made the whole earth, and thus the whole earth must sing his song. The subject matter of this psalm is the salvation of souls. The great salvation which could be won only by Jesus Christ. It is this song alone that can cause joy and praise. This song is to be sung at the great feast in the old dispensation. And now in the new dispensation, it is to be sung from day to day. This is a glorious truth that can never be forgotten. Let this good news cry forth from the hearts of all continually, day after day. Jehovah's salvation is his glory. The message of the gospel glorifies him. Verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. He says, we must declare this good news. We must go forth and proclaim this song far and wide until all the isles have heard it. Let us open our hearts to take this glorious message of salvation to people all across this globe. We take his gospel and show his wonders among all peoples. The gospel is filled with wonders. Its its history is undergirded by many wonders. But remember, this glorious gospel is more than miracles itself. What we see in our Lord and Savior are wonders of his love, grace, mercy, wisdom, and power. All glory belongs to him. Who can refuse if they know this gospel to tell it to others? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Are you standing on him? Then surely you go forth and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Anyone who knows this new song cannot be silent in the face of unbelief and ignorance. As I have told you many times, witnessing is not hard. It's very simple. All in the world it requires of you is telling others what Jesus has done for you. It's in singing this new song of salvation. All nations, every member of those nations, need to hear this new song. Our God is not like the gods of the heathen, where a God watches over and controls only one nation or one area of of nature. Look at verse 4. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Our God, Jehovah, is great in power and wisdom, great in mind and action. 
He's not average nor narrow. He is in control of all things, from the least creature to himself, man. He is infinite, and there is not another like him. We cannot praise him too much. We cannot speak of him too often. We cannot be too zealous of him. We cannot be too joyful in our thoughts about him. There should be nothing too little in our worship of him. Our hearts must be filled and overflowing with zeal as we come before him. The psalmist clearly declares he is to be feared above all gods. The other gods here are not real gods, but gods formed in the imaginations of men. Such gods are worshipped at great cost to the worshiper, for they cannot hear, speak, nor move. Jehovah is one and is the one and only true and living God. There is no other. Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is beginning, the beginning of knowledge. God is to be feared, and there is good cause for that fear. Dread of other gods is mere superstition. Of the true and living God is pure religion. Holy fear is the beginning of grace in your life. These false gods are all made from wood or stone and carved by the hands of men. They have no power. They're nothing. They can claim no worship. Our Lord is no petty deity. He does not rule as the heathen imagine their gods ruling. He is the one and only true and living God, the sovereign almighty God who made the universe and completely controls it. The psalmist makes a clear declaration in verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. These other gods are mere images of wood and stone, vanities and nothing more. What does he tell us to set us on the right path in our worship? He says, the Lord made the heavens. The psalmist gives the reality this, that this true living God is proved by his works. What is his greatest work visible to our eyes? It's the masterpiece of architecture. It's the ark over every man's head. It holds the lamps that lights the man that lights of the lights of mankind. It produces the dew and rain that softens the ground and waters the plants. It's the place from which every ear hears the voice of God's thunder speaking to every creature. Our God made the heavens. What did Molech, the god of the Amorites, build? What did Dagon, the god of the Philistines, do to help man? What did Baal Peor, the god of the Moabites, produce for men? What did, the Asher, what did Asherim, the Phoenician goddess, give man that has any worth? What did Marduk, the god of the Babylonians, show man about life? None of these gods did anything. These gods have no existence, but our God is the author of all experiences. These gods are all mere vanities, while our God is not only heavenly, but he made the heavens. We must take this as an argument for universal praise to Jehovah. Who is deserving of worth but Jehovah? There is none that can rival him. Let Jehovah be the one and only one to be adored and worshipped. This is a good place for everyone to stop and reflect.
Think about what you believe. Think about what you trust in. All of these gods I just mentioned, and many more, all stand on a false philosophy. They design, they're designed by the imaginations of men. This is all superstition. And I want you to know, superstition has not lost today. There's a lot of it out there. It's very prevalent today, so much so as in the days of Jesus. What men need today is a solid foundation to live upon. I'm here to tell you there is only one such solid foundation. What men need today is a solid foundation. One that comes from Scripture. One that has some, some strength to it. There's only one such solid foundation. That's Jesus Christ and the gospel he brought into this world. Open your ears and hear this glorious message of hope and truth. Place your hope and trust in Christ and Him alone because Jesus came to save the souls of everyone who would hear and believe on Him. The psalmist turns our attention to the praise owed this true and living God in verse 6. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. How do we go about giving honor and majesty to God? In the old dispensation, they would hold elaborate feasts, pageants, Designed to make their praise visual. It is true God designed and instituted these ceremonies. He did it to focus their attention on what was to come in the era of the new song. With the coming of the Messiah, those feasts were all fulfilled. There are, were two times a year these feasts were held in the spring and in the fall. Jesus fulfilled these feasts and called men to come together every week for a day of worship. It was to be a day without visualizations of our praise and worship. Our new times of worship were to be centered in God's word as we sung, his, we sing his word, read his word, pray his word, and preach his word. As we enter into this kind of worship, we know that the presence of our God will be with us. His real glory and sovereignty will be at our side. We see in this and that this that his strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. What we learn in this is that all that is mighty and lovely, powerful and resplendent is in combination with him. You have all been witnesses to a rugged strength that is anything but beautiful, I'm sure. You have all witnessed those manner, those with manners, but they were devoid of any kind of strength. It takes both strength and beauty to be admired. If we want to see the majesty and beauty of our Lord at one glance, how do we do that? There's but one way. We have to look to Jesus Christ and the worship he prepares for us. Charles Spurgeon says, we need not look otherwise. He goes on to say, not in outward show or parade of costly robes does the glory of God consist. Such things are tricks of state with which the ignorant are dazzled. Holiness, justice, wisdom, grace, these are the splendors of Jehovah's court. These are the jewels and the gold, the regala and the pomp of the courts of heaven. We have to see and admit that God is the sovereign Lord. We must pay homage to him. Verse 7. 
Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. As the King of kings and Lord of lords, he is clothed in robes of glory and he is wrapped with the girdle of power and we must accept both. Who is, who is it he calls to in all of this? He says, O families of the peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. We're all to know the Lord and all of his majesty. Why does he call all families to give glory and strength to the Lord? He calls all men because he made all men. There's not a man that has ever lived or ever will live that was not made by the hand of God and had the breath of life blown into him. We all owe to God all praise and worship. But we owe to God much more. Verse 8. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. But who of us can do that? If we bring all the nations together, can we ever discharge the debt we owe him? No. It would be impossible. Jesus did for his people what they, more than they could ever repay him. Therefore, we need to bring him our tithes and offerings. We owe to him everything, but he only requires of us an offering of thanks. Jesus went to the cross in a bloody sacrifice for our sins. We should desire with all our hearts to offer a bloodless sacrifice as a thank offering. We need to come with that offering in hand and give willingly and with joy in our hearts. There's but one thing that we should see as beautiful in our worship. Listen to verse 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Doesn't matter where you worship. Whether it's in a great cathedral, a small church, maybe a tent, or on a barren hillside. It is not the beauty that surrounds us, but the beauty of the one we worship that should take our breath away and make tears come to our eyes. We must never worship our Lord in a slovenly, sinful, superficial way. We must come reverently, sincerely, earnestly, and pure in heart, both in prayer and praise. We must answer the call to worship with trembling. We tremble coming into his presence because he is holy and we are unholy. But he calls us to come and stand in Christ and worship. There is a notice given in these next four verses. It's telling us how to speak to the heathen. We are to tell them the Lord reigns. We are to preach the gospel to them. We are to preach out to, to our neighbors with good news. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns, the world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. This is the best news that could be carried to anyone. The Lord Jehovah in the person of his son has sat down upon his throne and is holding the scepter of power. Go forth and tell the lost. Call them to come before the living God. Confess their sins, repent, and let their hearts be filled with an eternal joy. The sermon was titled, The Joy of the Gospel. Here is where the joy of the gospel is spread. 
It goes forth from the hearts of those who believe to the ears of those who are ignorant and lost. My friends, you cannot call yourself a child of God if you are unwilling to stand up and declare the love that has saved your soul. When Jesus was leaving his disciples, he gave them a commission. We call it the Great Commission because it carries the greatest news anyone could ever hear. It calls us to the greatest work anyone could ever do. We must not be afraid to share this good news with others. For to fail to call the lost to salvation is a danger to our own souls. Be brave. Be brave and let God's strength carry you. As we carry this good news to a lost and dying world, verse 11 tells us the results. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea roar in all its fullness. We hear this, that both those in heaven and those on the earth will be, let the joy be magnified. The angels that have watched the sinfulness of mankind now with the coming of Jesus Christ rejoice over the repentance and restoration of the favor of God's children. We also need men standing up and expressing their pleasure in seeing their true Lord sitting upon his throne in heaven. God made the world. He made the heavens. He made the earth, the sea, and everything in them. He controls them all by his word. They were all created to shout to man that there is a creator. The psalmist says, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. The sea is no longer to be a place of fury. It will no longer take lies and cause grief. It will adopt a cheerful note and its ways will rejoice in the kingdom of the Lord. The waters of the seas are the greatest testament to the creative power of our Lord. The greatest part of life in this world is found in the sea. The sea still today holds the greatest secrets of this world. Not until Christ is seated on his throne and the wicked of this world are dispatched will all of those secrets be revealed all of their, in all of their glory. The sea was used by God to bring punishment on a sinful world in the days of Noah and the destruction of Pharaoh. The sea was used to show the glory of the salvation of the Lord in the trials of Jonah. Only the Lord can control the fury of the sea. Only God could stir the sea into a furious storm and then bring calm to it in an instant as he did in the days of Jonah and with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. We continue this look at creation and how it manifests its place in the joy of the gospel. Verse 12. Let the field be joyful in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. Man is dependent. He's dependent by God's grace on the cultivation of their food. Let the cultivated lands and their produce give praise. It's, it's peace that allows the farmer to plow, sow, and reap his fields. In peace, he is not concerned about enemies ruining his fields. They raise their voices and praise the kingdom that brings peace. This is also true of the sowing we do in the hearts of men. We are as children of God to see mankind as a field white for harvest. We have the word of God acting as our skeeth and sickle 
to go out and harvest the souls of men. Not only does that bring praise from our hearts, but glorious praises from those that are harvested. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. Can you think of anything that could be more rewarding than to hear the praises of those who have from your lips received the light of the world and the joy of the gospel? We're talking about the joy of the gospel. What is the last thing we learned that makes this gospel such a joy to us? Verse 13, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. We await the coming of our Lord and Savior. We have our hope in this one that is coming and that hope shall not be disappointed. We will see that the coming of our Lord is twofold. First, he came to bring salvation and to sanctify men. Second, he will come to judge and glorify men. We are the kingdom of his grace as we await his return. We're looking forward to the kingdom of glory when we are with him in heaven for eternity. He will open the gates of that kingdom of glory to us when he judges this world in righteousness and truth. If creation be represented as rejoicing at the establishing of the kingdom of grace, how much more will the kingdom of glory be filled with joy as its gates are being opened to the, all the Lord has called forth and established for eternity in the presence of God? This all came about by the coming Jesus Christ into the, the world to redeem a people unto himself. He completed all the work the Father gave him to do. And he ascended into heaven to prepare a return and take all that were saved home with him to heaven. There they wait in white robes for the final day to come when all will be gathered together in the glory of the joy of the gospel for eternity. The joy of the gospel. This is a phrase filled with the truths of the gospel. It is given to lead us into the hope that has saved our souls. It is to give us the courage to go forth and proclaim the good news of great tidings. That our Lord Jesus Christ came and prepared for you a place with him in heaven. And he will return to take you home with him. I call you this morning. I call you to hear this message and prepare your hearts to receive his truths. Let them direct you to a love of Jesus Christ such that your heart is filled to overflowing with praise and glory. In doing such, you will find a great assurance of God's love for you. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. We have opened your word because we know in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Help us this day to grow in our awareness of this gospel, glorious gospel given through your Son. Work in the hearts of those who are here. Show them the grace of Jesus Christ and strengthen them in faith. We know we're all sinners. We all fall so far short of your glory. But we know the promise, the promise you have given to all who will acknowledge their sin and their need of a Savior. Draw us into that promise. Build us up so we can stand fast in it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.